Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Gotta come up with new ways to say it every single time. And we're on number 650 bazillion at this uh, point. Uh, 155, I think. Hey, well done us. Well done indeed. This and is you... We've Got Mail. This is our uh, mail podcast. Yeah, you control the conversation here at We've Got Mail. You send us an email or a piece of physical mail, and we read it, and we answer your questions, and we respond to your prompts, and we uh, uh, defend ourselves against... Uh, various critiques. Sometimes you're really quite right. Mm -hmm. So thank you for all of that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's really, really quite straightforward. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? If you want to send us an actual physical piece of mail, we'll take those too. Uh, send it to P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. I wonder how many actual like letters and emails we've responded to. Overall, just this overall, time. yeah, yeah. Uh, we get a lot of emails. We can't respond to all of them. They nah, just get too many. We'd have no um, time to do nothing else. Really, we, however, are not yet inundated with physical letters. So, if you want to guarantee your letter gets read, yeah. send it to the PO. If box. you take the time to actually like write it down mm -hmm. or even print it out, put a stamp on it, put it in the mail, we will definitely read your letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just that's just and a heads up. And indeed, we, we we're going to start with a, a package. Yeah, indeed, we, we, we got, got a, package. a package in the mail. Very mysterious. And we're going to shuffle the box near the mic so you can yeah. kind of hear that yeah. there's an actual box here. I'm going to open it, and there's a letter on top. Okay. And it comes from Luke. Hi, Luke. Uh, the letter says, uh, Greetings, Bibsera and Witmajin. Nice. Uh, just sending along a little gift to celebrate your diving into the greatest movie series of all time. Ooh. Oh, I bet this is Godzilla related. Well, probably. Uh, and also bravo to the name of the podcast. Friday is my favorite day of the week. Yay! For podcasts I listen to, so I'm very, very happy that Thank Godzilla It's Friday is joining that group of shows. My only real comment to share on Godzilla and Kaiju in general mm. is that I wish more companies had made more Kaiju movies in the Showa era. Yeah. That's, um, the... From the fifties to the seventies was like the first Godzilla Showa era, and that's also the early uh, Gamera movies are called the Showa era as well. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's where we currently are. If you're not, if you don't know what we're talking about, mm. uh, we started a new podcast every Friday. Whitney and I are reviewing a new film in the Godzilla series or Godzilla adjacent movies. Characters who would eventually meet Godzilla. We'll review those too. Uh, and we're currently knee deep in the Showa era. Mm. We're just reached, uh, I think, we're about to reach nineteen sixties. And it's very, very exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, with that out of the way, I was hoping I can get you two to talk about something you rarely do, comic books. Oh. Uh, Bibbs, you especially seem to have a different voice when talking about comics. I suspect it's because you, you can just enjoy them more purely than you can movies, which mm. you have to analyze for your job. Mm. In any case, I always enjoy those rare moments when comics do come up between you two. So who are some of your favorite characters, titles, and stories, etc. from when you were younger, uh. or currently on those rare occasions where you may have time to read? Oh, and I miscanceled too soon. I'm sure you missed doing it, but I absolutely get how much time it takes and makes it difficult with uh, even without your 17 other shows. Sincerely, Luke. And yeah, um, yeah. cancel too soon. Uh, we we love it and yeah. we want to do it. Um, problem is, I got a nine to five job. Yeah, uh, that that's been the biggest issue. And, and it's not just you. I have other projects. Yeah. I have other things that we're doing. Yeah, we I, I, I got to... a new. Yeah, when we were doing uh, like at the height of cancel too soon, yeah. um, especially during the pandemic. 
I was working in a warehouse by myself, mm. doing physical labor, like, in one location. Yeah. Uh, I was not, in, not, like, lifting boxes no, from, no, like, like, one into the other. I was just in, like... inspecting films, so I was at, like, this film bench, yeah. and I could watch, like, eight hours of TV mm. while I worked. So I was getting uh, two paychecks at once. Yeah. That was great. Um, then I got a nine-to-five job where I have to write and concentrate eight mm-hmm. hours a day. I'm working more. Yeah, and, and that's good, the but ideas it gets of, in the way of other Yeah, things. getting... Uh, Finding the time to watch, you know, entire season of TV, sadly, has become really difficult. Mm. It's still something we want to do. It's not yeah. something we're shelving entirely. Um, we, we still have a bunch of DVDs we want to watch. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I apologize for that. It's just been my schedule mostly. It's, it's, it's not kind of just been... been you. It's been me as well. I've had a lot of mm. turbulent things going on with my life. Had some health issues. Had some family yeah, stuff sorry, going on. Sorry about all that. It's okay. Uh, it. Thank you, but I'm good. It's just been very, very difficult to add an additional 10 to 12 hours of TV yeah, yeah. every single week. And we want to make sure we do it right. Mm. So I will say this. We'll, we'll, there, we might bring it back for like an event mm. or for a special episode here or there. We don't want to put it aside entirely, but we'll probably putting it, it's probably aside for now. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do Thank Godzilla. It's Friday because we wanted to do something special. We want to do something special in the main feed, not just, our special shows on Patreon, but we wanted to do something that was enough of a time commitment that we could actually commit to it. Yeah. And yeah. one extra movie a week is very, very manageable. So hopefully you enjoy Thank Godzilla. It's Friday. We've had some really good feedback so far. Uh, and that should take us to about a we should, about 52, 53 episodes that we're planning of that. So it should last for about a year. Maybe Cancel Too Soon can come around before that's over. Maybe mm. it'll come around afterwards. It is dear to our hearts, and we have yeah. not forgotten it. But uh, anyway, comic books. Mm, comic books. I, I read uh, comic books. Mm. Um, I was really intimately familiar with the like the Marvel canon of characters yeah. before I even read a comic book. Oh. Thanks to a friend of mine who collected the trading cards, mm. and he would he would bring them to boy scout meetings yeah. and he would just go through these, like this big stack of cards and learn all of the stats and learn the backstories of all these characters. So I knew all of the characters, their real names, their backstories, their costumes, their team affiliations, their energy projection, whatever the heck that meant. <laughs> yeah, um, all these trading cards, I don't know if they still do, but they had stats. It was like, Strength, strength and intelligence, like, so like, speed, like the Hulk stuff, yeah. would be like it was a, on a scale one of one to seven, ten, yeah, be, or a scale of one to seven. So it'd be on a scale of one to seven, and then like the Hulk would be like an eight, yeah, and then just as a special thing, or there would be like intelligence and like Doctor Doom and Miss Fantastic would be at a seven. Yeah. And I, then, what I liked, they had but there was also like a, energy, which yeah, is like energy projection, like, like Spider Man would have a zero, but. Cyclops would have a Cause, six because he's got eye lasers. Yeah, the, the one I liked was um, the Celestials, which are like yeah. deities in the the Marvel universe. On their stats, it just had big block letters that said "not applicable." Yeah, <laughs> so, Ooh, very, they're so compelling. mysterious. <laughs> so I knew all of these characters, yeah. and uh, it wasn't until uh, and I would go to comic book shops, but I wouldn't buy the comics. I would, like oh. I just sort of liked being in there. I liked the toys. I liked sort of thumbing through stuff. And it wasn't until I was twelve that I actually bought. A comic book for myself. Mm, and, and that was, uh, I believe, Memory Serves, Can't mm, Go From Wrong. Yeah. Warlock and the Infinity Watch. No, it was Infinity Gauntlet, number oh, one. Oh, it was so yeah. close. Um, okay. Uh, so, yeah, they finally got to that in the movies. Like, hey, that, if this movie had come out when I was 13, I'd be all, all over this. Um, <laughs> and I would have complained because they changed stuff. Yeah, this isn't uh, like the comics at all. Y'all mm, ruined it. It's like, you know, you know that thing that happens at the end of the Infinity War movie? 
That's the that's the inciting incident at the beginning of the story. Yeah. Thanos snaps his fingers and kills off half the universe. That's how the story begins. Yeah, that they pulled an LA confidential on mm-hmm. that, just totally switched things around mm-hmm. for the adaptation. That's right. It's exactly like LA that's Confidential. It's exa- exactly like LA Confidential. <laughs> Uh, also in the comics, uh, Thanos was, he wasn't a military guy. In the movies, they made him into a soldier. Because in the Avengers movies, they kind of had to answer the question, why are these characters coming together? Because hmm. when they gathered the Avengers in the comics in the 60s, it was just their hottest selling characters. They just put them Basically. all in one book for no yeah. reason. It was, it was uh, uh, there's a bad guy and all these heroes happen to be around and bada bang, basically. Yeah, and they decided like, to hang out together well, and get a house. It, 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 was all very, it was all very mercenary. It was, yeah. you know, Stan Lee's like, well, the Hulk is a big seller and mm. Thor is a big seller and Captain America oh, as yeah. well. Let's just put them all in one book and that way fans of all of them will buy their home book and also this one. It's sure. just a way to make more money. And, um, there was no reason for those characters to be together. Like Thor and Captain America don't like naturally get along in any kind of organic <laughs> way. Um, so in the movies that answer the question, why are these characters together? And they decided to sort of redefine these superhero teams as essentially a freelance military. Yeah. They're, they're a, a fighting force that works for a government like organization, but they're actually uh, free agents. Yeah. And so when it came to supervillains, they had to have military supervillains. Mostly, So yeah. they turned Thanos into this military dictator, this yeah. murderer. Uh, and uh, and then they had to give him this motivation as well. Like, oh, why is he killing everybody? Well, he actually, uh, what, I don't know, believes in overpopulation. So he's trying to reduce the galaxy's population by just yeah. killing. Tough love. That's his whole yeah. vibe. Yeah. Um, I, I am frustrated that they didn't address that in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> like Thanos had a grievance. Couldn't they fix that as well? Like in, I, we in a less homicidal yeah, uh, yeah. In the comics, I actually liked Thanos a lot better because he wasn't a military guy. He was just a nihilist. Yeah. He believed in death, like, at its core. And indeed, in the Marvel comics, death was an actual character, was a deity. Yeah. And he knew death personally and was in love with her. Yeah. yeah. And wanted to prove his love for her by killing half of the universe all at once. Yeah. And he did a good job. He did a good job of it. Yeah. And everybody died out. Yeah. And then well, half of everybody. Half of everybody died <laughs> out. And, uh, and, the survivors had to sort of like scrape together to fight Thanos. And that, that to me is a much more exciting story. Also, they were led by this character, Adam Warlock, who I'd uh, only ever seen on a trading card. And so I looked into sort of his backstory and he was this weird psychedelic 1970s drug addled cosmic pseudo messiah who like drifted through the cosmos and pondered in his own existence. I'm like that. That's, that's the kind of shit I want when I'm 12. Uh, <laughs> I was a weird kid. What can I say? I was like yeah. the, the headier cerebral stuff. So uh, one of the uh, Marvel's writers was a guy named Jim Starlin. Yeah. Uh, who wrote all of those cosmic stories and he wrote the infinity gauntlet. Yeah, he wrote the original mm-hmm. guardians of the galaxy, which isn't so much the new version, but the one that was the started Guardi- it all. The one that started it all was actually like Marvel in the 31st century. So yeah. it's like the distant future. And that's where the guardians of the galaxy lived. Yeah, It was a neat idea. Um, uh, so yeah, that that was my experience. I loved Warlock and I loved the Infinity Gauntlet. So I read some of the Infinity stories that came after. There was Infinity War, Infinity Crusade, right. and Warlock and the Infinity Watch, which yeah. was like my jam for a second there. Uh, Warlock finally showed up in a movie. Yay! Very different. Very different. Thirteen-year-old you was pissed. Uh, I I wasn't upset. I mean, thirteen-year-old you if, was pissed. If I had seen that when I was like thirteen yeah. or fourteen, I would have yeah. been like, no, that's not the way he is in the comics at all. Exactly. I, I didn't I didn't care by the time I'm in my forties, right. but. 
Uh, I like I liked Will Poulter. I like the way they made hey, the character he's, look. He's uh, cool. yeah. I think he had the attitude, right? Even if the character's a lot different. Yeah, I actually learned to read on comics. Oh, no kidding. Like, literally, the first thing I remember reading was... It was either... I read them, like, together. So I don't remember which one was first, per se. Uh, but my brother had, like, a whole long box of comics that he just wasn't interested in anymore. He was going to give them away or something like that, so I'll take those. Mm-hmm. And it was mostly, like, G.I. Joe's, you know, kind of branded stuff. Uh-huh. G.I. Joe, the original comic book, by the way, was way better than it had any right to be. Larry Hama wrote that series, and Larry Hama wrote it like it was a real, like, cool military comic with actual like death and consequences and it was like nobody was paying attention to what he was doing because he was doing some messed up stuff it was great Mm -hmm. uh so my first two comics that i ever read one was an issue of gi joe where storm shadow broke into the gi joe compound and everyone tried to fight him but he was actually asking for asylum and so it was a good mess. It was, it was a good, cool fight comic, but it was also a good message at the end okay. about you know diplomacy and leaving communication open and an opportunity for redemption. And the other comic I read the exact same day was actually an issue of Gru the Wanderer. Oh, Sergio Argonas. Yeah, the awesome Gru the Wanderer, one of the best like cult comics ever made. It was basically what if Conan. Was an was a, idiot. It was dumb. Yeah. yeah. What if like Conan, I mean, Conan played is, by like Jack kind of, Black? Like Conan is kind of a brick, but yeah. What, but what, no, if, what if he no, thought no, he was smart? No, Conan was actually quite bright. He just wasn't like hmm. you know Einstein or anything like that. He was clever. He was a he was a thief. He was a con artist. He knew what he was doing. He was streetwise. Gru was an idiot, and so there was this one issue of Gru. And this is the first issue that I remember reading. Where Gru was in love with a much cooler lady barbarian. Okay. And she had been enlisted uh, by a town that was... It was kind of like the, the the movie Yojimbo. Where oh, there's, yeah. a, there's a town and it's constantly under siege from two warring gangs. Hmm. Uh, and she had a plan. We're going to lure all the gangs into this one spot. And then we're going to break down this dam and we're going to flood them and kill them all at once. And Gru... Was uh, uh, wanted to be involved, wanted to be the hero, wanted to impress her. Yeah, and so she had sent two messengers to each gang to say meet at this point. Mm-hmm. And Gru said, "I'll do it." So he sneaks out, tells the messenger, "I'm going to do it." I think he ends up killing him, <laughs> and then he goes to this to this gang, and he when he gets there, the gang is like. Yeah, I'm so tired of being at war. We should just declare peace. And Gru was like, hey, the other gang wants to meet here for a big final showdown. And they're like, no, we're not doing that. We just want to be peaceful now. And Gru was like, no. (laughs) You need to fight. And so he ends up killing the entire gang all by himself. (laughs) Goes to the other gang. Pretty much the same thing happens. Hmm. Gru kills them all by himself. And then the next day, everyone's like there where the gangs are supposed to meet. And they're confused. Why aren't the gangs here? And Gru explains, I'm sorry. I accidentally killed them all. And and the girl he was in love with was like, wow, maybe you're kind of cool after all. And then she's like, wait, where's Gru? And Gru says, we forgot to break the dam. And then he breaks the dam and he drops all the people they were trying to save. Wow. Awesome, wonderful, funny comic. <laughs> Is that one of your favorites, Grew? Oh, well, it was when I was a kid. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's still great. Right. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I sadly didn't get her because I was a big fan of Mad Magazine. Yeah. Like, pri- I guess prior to reading superhero comics, I read Mad Magazine all throughout my childhood. But yeah. uh, 
I know, I know that technically that's a magazine, which they did to subvert the Comics Code Authority. Yeah, uh, get away with a lot more. Very if clever it's a magazine, of w- publisher yeah. William Gaines to have done that. Yeah, uh, Mad Magazine was a very formative experience for me. Um, Warlock and the Infinity Watch. When I was a teenager, I was very fond of the Max. Oh, the Max. Uh, the Max is a big Keith, deal. Yeah. When Image Comics came out and all of these uh, really big artists from Marvel mm. said, hey, we are constantly creating things for you and you're taking all of the money and we're getting and, none of and it. And they, they own the characters. I know they, the characters. They, so they we make it look better. We make so, nothing. Yeah. So they said, well, listen, we're big enough that when we draw a comic, it sells well. So why don't we just do our own comics? And they started their own line. It was called Image. And... It turns out not all of them were great writers. Yeah, the the artists got to do whatever they want. They could take their time. Yeah. Uh, the art boy did they in the, some cases. The, the art and the coloring was incredibly elaborate in yeah. those image comics. But they were the often character quite designs light. were really cool, and the characters were really stupid, mm-hmm. and the writing was pretty bad. Some of them were good. I will say this: just going back to the original crop of image comics, mm, which was Young Blood from was, Rob Liefeld. It was Young Blood from Rob Liefeld. It was, uh, it was uh, Mark uh, Silvestri's uh, Cyber Force. Cyber Force. There Mark, was um, uh, Eric Larson's Eric the Savage Larson. Dragon. Uh-huh. Uh, there was. There's a uh, uh, who yeah. did Cyber Force? No, who uh, who did uh, um, Shadow Hawk? Oh, um, was it? It wasn't Wills Protasio. It was, no, um, it was Mark something. Was, uh, I forgot I who did Shadowhawk. I'm going to uh, look up Shadowhawk. There was uh, Jim Lee's Wildcats. Wildcats. And I read Wildcats. Yeah, so I read which, all of them. Yeah. Uh, there was Todd McFarlane's Spawn. And then there yeah. was Sam Keith. Uh, oh, Dale Keown's Pit. Which oh, yeah. over the course of like read, 20 years put out like four issues. Of uh, that. Yeah, I read the, the few yeah. issues of Pit that came out as well. Uh, hold on. Because Shadowcat. Uh, not Shadowcat. Shadowhawk was actually notable because that was the person who had sort of rebooted. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy made it a big seller. Jim Valentino. Oh, okay. He made it, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy a big seller in the 90s. Um, and then Sam Keith uh, did the Max. And I would I would argue, having read all of those at the time, mm. the only two that I would argue were genuinely well-written. Mm. Did we say Young Blood by Rob Liefeld? I said Young Blood. Uh, yeah, I was. Yeah, I would argue the only two that were genuinely well-written were The Savage Dragon, mm. which had a lot of creativity and weirdness, and, and The Max, which unlike even the Savage Dragon, mm. had something to say. Oh, it, it was like a really intense story, and it, it started out like it sold itself. It's like, oh, this is kind of like a a weird superhero character. Like, what if and, there's a superhero, but he's homeless and has a lot of issues to deal with, like, mm. that maybe are psychological. Like, like and maybe health he's, issues. And yeah. maybe he's not a superhero. Maybe he's just lost his mind, the poor guy. Yeah. And then it, it starts built to, off into these weird... Like by issue three, the, yeah. you begin to realize, wait a minute, this is actually about like surviving sexual assault. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main character, Julie Winters, is, was like assaulted, and a lot of the, yeah. the and now the, she's like a social worker, yeah. and she's trying to help the Max out, and, and the Max and there's, becomes there's, like representative of her id. Yeah, and and, there, there's like these, yeah. uh, oh. there's all the supernatural stuff, but it's yeah. all to explore Julie's headspace and, and like kind of like her. And we flash to her past, and yeah. there's like traumatic events, like yeah, and not like not it's like really, abuse, really, like when like she yeah. saw a rabbit die once. There's yeah. a whole issue about this one time she saw a rabbit die. You know, really, like little it, intimate things like that. I haven't reread it in a while. I'll bet it's really messy and probably doesn't handle everything great. But the fact that it was trying yeah. against that backdrop was really noteworthy. It was mm. a big deal because the other things I was reading at the time. You know, I was the uh, my parents would my mom would go to the local uh, thrifty, which is like what you call like a Rite Aid or a CVS now. Mm-hmm. And I think she, there's still thrifties around. It's a drugstore. Yeah. got I think it got scooped up by Rite Aid and they kept the thrifty ice cream brand. Yeah, but there like you thrifty go. was uh, was like a Rite Aid before we had a Rite Aid. And um, 
uh, which is basically a big pharmacy, but also kind of like a mini mart kind of thing. You could get a little bit of everything in there. And she would just drop me in front of the little standalone carousel with the comics. Yeah. And do her shopping and probably enjoy uh, um, 20 minutes to herself for a change. <laughs> uh, and I would be there and I would just read whatever was there. And that was my introduction to mostly Marvel Comics. I didn't read a lot of DC when I was a kid. I didn't really read DC until I was in college. Um, but that was where I... Uh, what, was, what were some of the first things? Acts of Vengeance, I think, was the first big event I really got into. Acts of Vengeance was a fun comic where um, all of the Marvel villains teamed hmm. up. And they had an idea, which is, hey, everyone's got an arch nemesis. Like, Doctor Doom, you're constantly fighting Reed Richards. And, oh, uh, they swap around. And, right? Yeah, they yeah. would swap. So, like, hey, instead of everyone fighting the same heroes who know how to kick our butts all the time, what if you fought Iron Man and you fought Thor? And just totally catch them unawares. They would be completely blindsided because there'd be... No reason to suspect the Absorbing Man was going to attack today, because why would he? I've got no beef with him. Mm. And uh, it was really cool. It was really inventive. It just required uh, a lot of just fun characters you'd normally never meet to meet. And it was a great way to just sort of like dive into the Marvel Universe all at once. Yeah. So I, that was a huge one for me. Um, mm. I could go on forever. Um, yeah, well, we, I, I grew up reading a lot of comics, and I love yeah. comics a lot. And I used to spend a lot of money on comics, mm -hmm. and now I don't have the time or money. Yeah. I. I what did I get recently? I, I uh, recently discovered the Inkall, which was uh, mm. Alejandro Jodorowsky and Mobius. Did oh this, yeah. Like weird science fiction yeah. thing, and I'm kind of working my way through that right now. Not so much anymore. I, I eventually discovered very old mm. novels and kind of skewed in that direction. There's an app uh, I think called Marvel Unlimited. I want to check out where mm. you can get like a, almost all of, like the major Marvel backstories. Yeah, I'm, I'm, like, I'm not interested in the superhero stories anymore. A, a few of them, the most of the older stuff that I missed. Like, yeah, I, like I wanted to read like the, the really demonstrative stuff from the '60s. That's yeah, so exciting. That could be really but, yeah. cool. And a few more interesting runs more recently that. I missed. Uh, I read like the first six issues of Dan Slott's Silver Surfer run, which was basically Silver Surfer, but what if Doctor Who? And okay. it was really, really great, and I was enjoying it, and I wouldn't mind finishing that off. So mm. that kind of thing. So I'll, I'll probably dive in a bit more, but you know, I only have so much time and money. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, we should move on. Uh, oh wait, well, wait, wait, wait! We got a there's, dinner. There's also we uh, didn't actually open the package. Yeah, there's part. Uh, there's some. Bubble wrap Ooh, here. Bubble wrap. Don't, don't, don't. Not, not right into the mic. Yeah, right, don't, absolutely right Don't ruin, don't, people have ears. Oh, that doesn't. Okay, you're also not very good at it. That's not the usual kind of and bubble it, wrap. It's, it's got, got like this. bigger, bigger bubbles. Oh, Ooh, but in this box. Oh, yeah, it really doesn't want to pop. <laughs> there, there we, we go. go. It's Godzilla's. Ooh. It's little Godzilla dolls. Ooh, um, let me see the Godzilla's. We got a Godzilla from 1954, the original, Ooh, wow. and we got uh, Godzilla 1999 from uh, Godzilla 2000. Oh, no shit. May, uh, may, may I take that? Yeah, I can't really see They're, they're like little kind of chibi versions. Oh, my like God, they're so adorable. Oh, you should like take one and I'll take the other. <laughs> That'd be great. And then we'd be best friends. <laughs> we each have a Godzilla. I Godzilla. love these. Oh, put, my God. These guys are so cute. Thank I'll, you. I'll put it on my desk next to my Asterix. And, yeah. uh, oh, there's another comic I read a lot of when I was a teen was Asterix but uh thank you so much oh they even have a, a, a set with Godzilla 1995 and Rodan okay and there's a set with Godzilla 1962 and Mecha Godzilla. so we should invest in these these are nice <laughs> thank you so much for getting us started Mecha, on our Godzilla collection Mecha Godzilla is we really my don't have hero. a lot of Godzilla stuff so that's cool 
Oh, I like the 62 Mecha Godzilla. Thank you. Oh, 95. That's from uh, Godzilla vs. Destoroyah. Mm. Uh, he's like glowing. That's, that's he's the like one supercharged. Yeah, he's like super. That's the one where he melts down like a fucking Viking. It's awesome. <laughs> anyway, uh, let's move on to our emails. Thank uh, you again that, for that. Was, yeah, kind of going on for a bit there. <laughs> Uh, here's a letter from Augie. Hello, Augie. Hi, Augie. Uh, Dear Bibbs, pronounced Rockmeister McCool, and Whitney, pronounced Bibbs. Uh, isn't that adorable? Um, (laughs) often while listening to one of your podcasts, I come up with ideas I would like your opinion on. Unfortunately, I was almost always file them away in emails to be written, which looks suspiciously similar to a dustbin. (laughs) (laughs) The problem is that I never get around to writing a distant preamble to my discussion topic, at least not one good enough to convince the two of you to engage with my silliness. Oh, we'll always engage with my silliness. Well, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Today, I feel like trying something new. Here, without context, is my random thought for you to discuss if it pleases you or ignore it if it pleases you more. How would you cast Muppet... Local hero. <laughs> Thank you for many gigabytes of entertainment, Augie. <laughs> kind of took you by surprise there. I really wasn't expecting that. We've had a lot of requests for like Muppet castings over the years because we both love the Muppets. Yeah, yeah. And we both have some very strong opinions on the Muppets and like what we would do with various Muppet movies. Whitney and I have often argued that uh, because the Muppets are... They're professional actors. Like, that's yeah. who they are. Uh, that putting them in various productions makes a lot of great sense. So we love the Muppet Christmas Carol and Muppet Treasure Island. And we mm. think there are definitely a whole bunch of other Muppet things they should do. I've been arguing for many years mm. that they should do two things. One, Muppet Dracula. It's a great idea. We need to see Muppet Dracula. Desperately needs to happen. And uh, Muppet Star Wars. Disney owns them both. That is a license to print money. And they already kind of did it. Why not? Did Pigs in Space? Mark Hamill Pigs was on it. Yeah, Yoda they, they is technically yeah. a Muppet. I think you got him. You got they're, it. They're, they're already in there. Uh, Local there, Hero right. was a movie that came out in 1983 <laughs> and it was directed by Bill Forsyth. Um, it starred. Um, oh, it was Peter Rieger. Peter Rieger. That was it. Yeah. Um, uh, and and uh, Burt and, Lancaster is in it. And uh, uh, and uh, Doctor Who. Um, oh, uh, uh, Peter Capaldi. Yeah, Peter Capaldi's in that too. Yeah. Very young Peter Capaldi's in that movie. Uh, it's about a, a yuppie who's sent to this little yeah. tiny town in Scotland. I want to say Scotland. Uh, and he's he's essentially there to acquire the town because he's going to, yeah, like, like, strip mine it. There's an oil company that... Uh, That's right, it's oil. Yeah. He's trying to... And, like, there's, like, a whole town that, like... I forget if they're trying to prevent him, but, like, there's, like, one holdout on the beach and, like, this mm. old man and he's trying to, like... But yeah, because of circumstances, he gets stuck there and uh, yeah. becomes, like, very enamored of the town. Yeah. Uh, it is one of... It, it's interesting. It's one of those movies that I don't think people talk about much anymore. But it is one of the most mm. likable movies you will ever see. I have never heard... I know people who don't like The Princess Bride. <laughs> I don't get that, but yeah. I, I know them. I have never heard a single person say an mm-hmm. unkind word about Local Hero. It is yeah, an yeah, Im- immensely likable motion picture. Uh, here, here's my complaint about The Princess Bride. They, could, they should remix the music. The music there's, is... There's, there's a lot of like ca- <laughs> plinky Casio keyboard sound to some of the music. I think it's I think it's kind of charmingly dated, but I don't I don't disagree. I actually mm-hmm. don't like the song. Like the, 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 oh, the one that plays up the crowd. My yeah. love is like a storybook story. Yeah, 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 yeah. the one like, that was not the only Oscar nomination it got. Yeah, like, and, fucking ridiculous. And that, and that song is terrible. It's yeah. not a great song, but you know what? A lot of great movies have like one bad song. You ever listen to uh, the Love Before Time from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? It's I, I mean, great, I've heard it, it's but not I don't. A great, it's not a good song. Like you, your brain you watch this amazing, synapses. gorgeous, epic motion picture, and then over the credits, you're just like, oh. 
Yeah. It's like the opposite of when you're watching Batman and Robin. No, sorry, Batman Forever. Yeah. And you watch it, like, it's pretty cool, it's pretty cool. And then over the credits, they play Kiss by a Rose. Song, yeah. And you're like, oh my god, this was the best movie we ever saw, isn't it? <laughs> this is the coolest movie. Like, oh my god. Like, just the most brilliant soundtrack move anyone ever pulled just putting that over the credits yeah um, <laughs> local hero though um how yeah, would you cast to... muppet local hero jesus um, I, th- I think the trick is you have to make all of the people in the town muppets. the muppets they the, have yeah rather the... than going to scotland yeah. they go they yeah. go to muppet land like, yeah the, the charming locals are all muppets so like peter but the capaldi main, main would guy. be like kermit or or yeah. uh yeah is that a... so yeah, you, yeah but what, you have what, two what was it peter peter capaldi no um the main guy Oh, Peter Riegert. Peter Riegert. Um, yeah. He's also, the human. Yeah. Also in that movie, by the way, the, an actor who I always confuse with Peter Riegert, even though uh, one mm-hmm. of them is British or Scottish and one of them, Peter Riegert's American. Uh, but they, to me, they look alike, is Dennis Lawson. Dennis Lawson. Movie. Dennis Lawson played Wedge Antilles in the Star Wars trilogy, the original. What's a Wedge Antilles? The only, he's a minor character, but he's the only character who is in all the major battles throughout the movie who isn't, like, an above-the-title actor. Oh, okay. So he's just, like, basically, well, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Leia and all them, he's also there. And so he's got this reputation as, like, the greatest... Like fighter pilot in the galaxy, <laughs> just because he survived. Yeah, just because he's the only one cast the same actor. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've always loved Wedge just for that alone. I mean, there's clones in this universe. Maybe they just kept on like pumping out the same guy. <laughs> it's like he maybe he, he died, so they just made another. But one. But uh, you got Peter Rieger. But you also should get his boss. I think should be played by a human. His boss in the movie is played by Burt Lancaster. Burt Lancaster. Oh uh, yeah, which is yeah. also a get. You know, that was a yeah. big like kind of. I mean, he, he's like already that. the celebrity cameo, so you just get a different celebrity cameo. We just need a different. Who who is the Burt Lancaster of this generation? Oh, Someone who was like incredibly dashing and mm. did like a bunch of cool adventure things, and now it's just kind of settled into like an older man. Mm. Uh, kind of. He's not really that old, but I could see someone like Matthew McConaughey. It's maybe in like. 10, 15 years, Matthew McConaughey. Because okay. I I th- it's, I feel like Matthew McConaughey's persona is still lively enough that it would feel like he'd be the protagonist. Okay. So maybe not Matthew. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton's not bad, okay. actually. I guess, yeah, I like Michael Keaton. Right. Okay, Michael Keaton's going to be the Burt Lancaster role. And now we need a, a, a young... Sort of uh, uh, soulless corporate type who can, who can on, soften as, on the as time verge passes. of soulless, yeah. and, and then just yeah, mm. exactly. So um, oh, who would be like who can play cold and also warm? I'm trying to think of just who's like Nicholas Holt's like a little too old for it now, yeah. I think. But he would have been good like five ten years ago. <laughs> uh, who's who's N- Nicholas Holt is best when he's playing like weirdos and creeps though. There's so. there's like a rumor going around that he's he's up for. Either Lex Luthor or Superman, and I'm like Luthor. He's well, Luthor. He'd be it, a great Lex Luthor. Here, here's here, here's the solution. You just cast him in both roles. Oh, I and, love you for that. <laughs> That's such a great just, idea. Just use special effects. You know, if they ever have any scenes together, use special effects, or you just film them separately. <laughs> that makes me laugh. I love that so much. Superman and Lex Luthor are the same man. Uh, like Michael B. Jordan would have been great a few years ago. So I'm just trying to think of like who's like age appropriate. There's well, a lot of really good actors. How old is Michael B. Jordan? He's not that old. He's like his early 30s, right? Something like that. Kind of just imagine him a little younger, I guess. I don't oh, know. Okay. Michael B. Jordan. He's fine. He, he can play... Fuck it, Michael B. Jordan. I love it. Michael he, B. Jordan. He can play warm, dashing characters oh, no, and also he, like, he can do the character. Yeah. I just wondered if he was like a little too, played a little too old for it. But fuck it. He is great. So yeah. 
Michael B. Jordan and Michael Keaton yeah, star you, you, in Muppet Local Hero. And, and I think they're both game enough so they can act opposite oh, Muppets. So, yeah. Michael Keaton with Muppets is hilarious. Mm. Michael B. Jordan with Muppets is heartwarming. I'm, mm. I'm with it the whole way. I want to see Miss Piggy try to seduce Michael B. Jordan. <laughs> like, that's a great scene. We're going to, like, all of a sudden for, like, one scene, uh-huh. we're not going to do Local Hero. She, It'll oh, be she, The Wicker Man. And she calls be, him, like, Britt Eklund and The Wicker Man. She makes a joke and calls him, like, Love Muppets. Uh, <laughs> sort of pop culture reference there. Yeah, I love it. That's there you go. Muppet, that might be the funniest Muppet what if Muppet Hero. movie I've heard, <laughs> at least in a while, maybe ever. Because I just was not ready for Muppet Local Hero. I love that. And if anyone listening, I swear, if anyone listening has not seen Local Hero, a magical movie. One of those movies that also has a perfect ending, like a really great. And I've ever yeah, served, yeah. they found it in the editing room too, right? Yeah, which yeah. is great. <laughs> So, anyway, great. Love it. Let's move on. Thank you so much for that letter. Um, Here is a letter from Governor Storm. Oh, my God. Hello, Governor Storm. Did I vote for Governor Storm? Yeah. I sure hope so. Okay. Um, My wife and I were watching Blended from 2014. Oh, yeah. Pause for lengthy explanation. Blended was an Adam Sandler comedy. Yeah. Yeah, He was a a single dad with kids. Drew Barrymore was a single mom with kids. Will they make it work when they they go on vacation to South Africa? They went to a South African vacation for, like, specifically, it was, like, for single parents to meet yeah. each other. It was, like, a memory single, serves, yeah. yeah. The only, like, actual, like, really funny part of that mm-hmm. movie was there was a, uh, like, a Greek chorus uh, mm-hmm. led by Terry Crews. Yes. Who would just pop up and sing about it. Yeah. That part was legitimately funny. Yeah, Everything else about that movie. Yeah. I mean, Adam Sandler's films espouse these really strange values, like yeah. really backward values. Like on one hand, they seem to be like warm and family values, but then everyone's just really cruel to each other. And it was really well, cruel. And uh, a big part of that movie is uh, you, you must adhere to traditional uh, gender roles yeah. in order to be happy. Yeah. Because um, uh, he has like he, a daughter. He has like a tomboyish kind yeah. of a daughter, and and she's like an athlete and. Yeah. Uh, she only can come to a catharsis when Drew Barrymore says, "Here, put on a dress and makeup." And what be you needed was a and, mom to fem you up, and and yeah. uh, and she has sort of like a, a kind of an intellectual, not very uh, you know, physically adroit young son, and he yeah. has to sort of teach him how to play ball. And it's like, mm, I, I mean, I guess just let the kids be who they are. There be movies nice for everybody, and, but I don't agree with any of that movie's yeah. philosophies. Although. Um, for whatever reason, Sandler and Barrymore are actually do have a lot of chemistry together. Yeah. And that makes it that is one of the least bad Sandler movies of that era, which doesn't I, I suppose say a lot. So. Yeah, that's a lot. I never saw Jack and Jill. I'm gonna have to someday. Oh my god. Because uh Oh my god. Look, I, I oh. I'm, I'm, I'm borrowing this line from the, the folks over at Red Letter Media, but they uh. said that one of their chosen methods of death is they see a movie <laughs> so bad that they die. <laughs> Like, they just get, like, so yeah. pissed off at this movie that they just have a heart attack and Jack die. and Jill might do that. Yeah, actually. and they said Jack and Jill is, like, the closest they've ever come. It's like, it's if, really... I, if there's a movie out there that's so bad it might kill me, I definitely Th- want to see a, it. There's one good joke in Jack and Jill. I'm just going to spoil it for you because mm. it's worth it. Because uh, the whole plot of the movie is Adam mm. Sandler... Is woo- an, woo- as an ad exec. Yeah, he's he's ad- wooing uh, Al Pacino he, to appear Dunkin in a Dunkin' Donuts, Donuts Dunkin' ad, Donuts yeah. wants Al Pacino to be their spokesman, and it's his job to get Al Pacino. And he has an identical twin sister, also played by Adam Sandler, uh, who, because I get you know, it's what he's into, uh, he's, he, you know, there's, there's someone out there for everybody. Al Pacino is deeply in love with the extremely shrill, mm-hmm. annoying, uh, uh, destructive... 
twin Jim, sister, Jill, identical yeah. twin sister of, of Adam Sandler. And there's a there's one funny joke though where they're in Al Pacino's house and she breaks his Oscar. Okay. Like she just knocks it over and like snaps in half or something. Hmm. And she's like, Oh, I'm so sorry. You have another one of those, right? And Al Pacino's like, You'd think, but no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's cute. That's cute. <laughs> You'd think, but no. Yeah, that was good. That's was adorable. Good. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Blended. Yes, Blended. Uh, and we were dreaming up a remake of Blended as okay. we watched it. All right. We thought it would be fun to watch a different version of it every decade, not how unlike Father of Brian has a new one every, there you every go. decade yeah. or so. Um, plus the 90s one, an even older one, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. Other films came to mind, such as 12 Angry Men, every 20 years. Uh, but they've remade that a few times. Well, there was, there was a TV movie, Sidney right? Lumet's in 1957. Yeah, there was a TV movie in, like, 1997. I think we're overdue for one, honestly. I'd love to see someone tackle a new no, 12, another Angry 12 Angry Men. Another 12 Angry Men. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the original's unassailable. You can still watch no, but, that today. But, it's but, just, uh, but so is, like, yeah. Olivier's Hamlet. There's still a reason to restage it, just because... You want to see new actors play those I roles. I think that's yeah. that's reason enough for some yeah, material. Yeah, you just want to recast you know? it. Uh, yeah. Or perhaps Nosferatu every 50 yeah. years or so. Because that was 22 and then what, when it was, was 79 uh, or something? Around there, Hertz yeah. did 79 and, and now 50 talk, years later. They're talking years about later. another one. With, they're, they already filmed it. David Lowry did it? Or no, no, no Robert Eggers. That's right, Robert Eggers did it. Robert uh, Eggers did it. Did and it I'm actually Nosferatu. pretty excited about that. That could be pretty cool. Well, so, yeah. We'll see. And I guess you could kind of count Shadow of the Vampire. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would think it would be interesting to track our culture through the same stories over time. After mm. all, we keep doing A Star is Born, and it keeps making money and winning acclaim and awards, so yeah. why not do other things? What do you guys think? What movies would you like to see remade periodically for cultural reasons or mm. just curiosity? Th- uh, thanks for reading my re- my letter, Governor Storm. P.S. A few weeks ago, y'all read my very first letter I've ever sent to a podcast, and it made me so happy. Yay! I'm glad we could read your letters. I'm really, really glad, um, too. Let's start, this, let's, let's start to think about this topic in terms of, like, relatively recent movies, like, maybe from the last, like, 20 years. Okay. Like, new things to do with it, too. Because a few movies, yeah. they are doing that. Yeah. What, Little Women, they do that every 20, yeah, 30 years. Yeah, I was going to so, say. And, and, but those are based on, like, classical lit. So, um, hmm. Also true. Uh, also true. This is something that's been really interesting. You kind of track it through, you know, fucking Spider-Man. Yeah. How many versions have we had of Spider-Man in just 20 years? It's, um, mm-hmm. I think that's a little different, though. That's more like milking commercial IP rather than, you that's, know, revisiting a story. I mean, uh, I mean, we have that with Batman as well. The difference yeah. is, I would say, unlike Spider-Man, mm. where I've liked to various degrees the various Spider-Men we've had, yeah. um, but I would argue that something like Batman, for example, which, you know, they're not necessarily retelling the same story, but the different versions of Batman that we've had, to their credit, uh-huh. have been different versions of Batman. Yeah. Every yeah. time we get, like, a new a, live-action Batman, yeah. it's a new-ish take, at least. Yeah. I, I so have, I like that, at least. I think that's something cool, you know? The story that I find really interesting to just sort of look at as a whole and sort of track the evolution mm. in terms of its reaction to the world... Hmm. is, uh, weirdly enough, James Bond. Yeah. Uh, James Bond is useless. Uh, James (laughs) Bond has no function, uh, had no function after 1989, but we're still making James Mm -hmm. Bond movies. Yeah, because he was a a relic of the Cold War. A relic of the Cold War. And, uh, so yeah, they they made those two Timothy Dalton movies and the Berlin Wall fell. What do we do with James Bond now? Yeah. It's like, we we can't really have Cold War stuff. Well, they tried to make it about, like, rich people. Yeah, well, for a little bit, and they well, still kind of did that. Go- like Goldeneye was about the fallout from the Cold War and mm-hmm. how we we still need a spy to sort of like clean up the mess, but he's yeah. also responsible for it. I yeah. think that's why I think Goldeneye is actually so yeah so brilliant because it kind of 
questions the place that James Bond always had in the world. But like Tomorrow uh, Never Dies is about an evil billionaire. Hmm. Never say uh, sorry. Uh, the world is Di- not enough. Was next. Uh, die by that or one. Die not so much. Day. Die another day. Evil billionaire. Yeah. Uh, Casino Royale. Evil billionaire. Mm. Quantum of Solace. Evil evil billionaire. billionaire. Uh, Spectre, Evil Billionaire, Secret Society. Is and, it, then, yeah, it was and then No Time to Die also. He, he bought an island. He's quite mm-hmm. rich. I think they just sort of shifted that yeah. to sort of... But they never really come out and just say, capitalism is bad. <laughs> they clearly, you, you, well, it's clearly implied, though. But it, it's really odd to he's say never, capitalism is bad because... He's never fighting because, like a poor guy. Well, J- James Bond is also all about conspicuous consumption. You know, yeah. the fancy cars and the nice watches and the, the fancy alcohol he drinks. Um, that's... Yeah. The, the the tie-ins have become an important part of James Bond. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting to trace James Bond because you look at sort of um, the world's attitude, England and America's attitude toward the Cold War and toward uh, world politics and toward various world powers mm. and how those are reflected in the James Bond movies as escapist entertainment. Mm. Uh, so, you know... Now, in, in one, we're just sort of, like, blowing up some Russians because they're bad guys. Yeah. Uh, what I found really curious was we didn't have a James Bond movie during the Trump administration. They made the no entire time, time. entire time. Those four years. They tried no to James put out Bond. a time to die. got getting pushed, but yeah. And you can see that with the Daniel Craig movies, those are post-9-11 movies. The world yeah. is now a horrible place. There's a lot more yeah. war. The character is now a lot more brutal. Yeah. It's a lot more... It's like that 24 mentality. Everything's a lot more mercenary. We need yeah. to torture people well, it's, quickly. It's more of a post-born um, identity. Everything's gritty yeah. and character-driven now. You know? yeah. It's like, you know. uh, But I, I feel like that's that's what they were the vibe they were going for. Sure. You know, the, the world is now a much more horrible place. We need a brutal, less charming, less mm. silly James Bond. Things need to be a lot more grounded. And I feel like, and a lot of people responded to that at the time. It was an appropriate response to world politics mm. to have an action film with that vibe to it. Whatever the next James Bond movie is, because they're going to make more. Uh-huh. Uh, that is going to supplant Casino Royale in people's mind as the best James Bond movie. No matter how it is. Quite possibly. Because it's going to be yeah. James Bond for this era. It, yeah. Uh, the post-Trump era. Now, yeah. I would have loved to have seen a James Bond movie where the American president is corrupt and terrible. And honestly, that would have fit this like post-24 Casino Royale because that was season five of 24. Yeah, yeah. Was the, the, the was villain Gregory, turned out to be the Gregory president. Eatson. Yeah, great yeah, yeah. Gregory Eatson. Yeah, great, yeah, the, great the, season The, the TV. late, great Gregory Eatson. Holy yeah, shit, that season of TV was a mind-blower. <laughs> um, but, because uh, that was the thing with 24. It's like every once in a while you think, oh, 24 has lost it. Hmm. 24 doesn't have it anymore. And then, they, and then up and through yeah. season five, they would have, then all of a sudden there'd be a plot twist. And you're like, this is the coolest show ever. Um, my, my pitch for this, a movie that should be revisited repeatedly, Mm-hmm. Uh, is a movie that is about revisiting things repeatedly. And I would suggest that I think every... I think it's 20... That 20 it's like 23 years or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should revisit Stephen King's It. Ah, that would be kind of fun. Because the thing with Stephen King's It is it's actually... It's a two-part story. I'm mm-hmm. sure you probably remember the two-part movie or maybe you remember the miniseries or maybe you read the book. Uh, but it's a two-part story. Part of it is about uh, children teaming up to fight... Uh, a literal personification of evil that is infecting their whole community. Uh, and then it returns again when they're adults and they have to go back to their hometown and fight it and fight their own personal baggage again. I feel as though that the original It was very much about Stephen King's nostalgia for the 1950s and how mm. 
our perceived nostalgia for the 1950s mm. was only a thin mask for the actual horrors going on yeah, at that time. The, the bullying and the abuse and, and the, the, and the, the racism and, and the yeah. sexism and it's, it's uh, all there. Uh, and I feel that when, and kudos, I still think it chapter one, the first it movie is quite great. Mm. Um, I think, well, but, but they made it about how we now have that same kind of weird nostalgic reverence for the 1980s mm. and how that was also a thin mask for uh, horrible things uh, going on. I feel like the movies mm-hmm. had no interest in interrogating the the evils of the 1980s. Well, and I think that's a that's that's a genuine c- critique. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think all the more reason to keep going back to this. Yeah. And I would also argue that if we keep going back to it someday Maybe 23 years from now, maybe 46 years from now, someone's going to figure out how to make the ending work. <laughs> they've never... I mean, they even made it a joke in It Chapter 2 that yeah. like the, the Stephen King standing character is a horror writer who can't figure out how to write an ending. Played by a, Stephen King, yeah. And, well, uh, no, Stephen King has a cameo in it, but Stephen but, King... But, gets, he, but he says to yeah. the Stephen King character... Yeah. Stephen King says yeah. to the character yeah, playing your himself, suck. your endings suck. Yeah, and, so he and, gets to say it out loud. And you know what? That's not an unfair critique. A lot mm-hmm. of Stephen King stories don't have great endings. And, and, and it please, is one of the ultimate examples of that, where it please, starts out please, so uh, instantly iconic and it completely crashes out at the end. For, first of all, don't film the ending from the book, please. Uh, I'm okay if you change the ending of this one. I swear <laughs> to God. It's totally uh, okay. It's pretty freaking weak, actually. It doesn't really work. And, uh, and I wasn't the only person to notice this, but... Mm. Uh, the way they uh, beat the monster at the end, yeah. the clown monster, is by making fun of it. Yeah. It's like, we, we, we take away your power, we're going to mock you. We're, yeah, we're gonna, we'll be the bullies. We'll now. be the bullies this time. It's like, you, you just spent like four yeah. hours of film talking about how bullying is like left deep scars that last into your adulthood and it's like but uh, but one sh- could argue sh- that shapes you for the negative one and, could argue that turning that against an, an immortal demon clown who's been mm. eating children for centuries is not I mean he started it and kept it so. going for a while uh, that's not my biggest problem my my biggest problem is just like they just can't figure out a way to escalate that thing well it turns mm. into a giant fucking spider who cares mm. like it's not that threatening the uh, well, the other it, thing is I hated I, the new ending in it chapter two where the character who at the beginning of it chapter two is an adult he finds out Pennywise the clown is back uh spoilers for it chapter two by the way I'm gonna talk about something they changed mm. um they, uh, there's a character who finds out Pennywise the Clown is back and he's so terrified he ends his own life. Yeah. And it's really harrowing. Um, and it really solidifies like, oh, no, shit's gonna go down. Like, mm. these characters are not safe and Pennywise is still, that trauma is still so deeply ingrained in them even if no one else saw it. Mm. They changed the ending in It Chapter 2 so that that character, after everything is done, had left everyone a note saying that this, I wasn't, I knew I'd be scared, so me ending my own life was a calculated choice oh, so that you right. could defeat oh, Pennywise God. more easily because if I was there, I would have undermined it. And everyone like sort of reads that and smiles. I'm like, no! You just justified... Like, no! You can't justify that. You can't make that heroic. That's a terrible message. Mm. That's a disgusting message to tell people that under certain circumstances... You're so much of a burden that you should not be alive anymore. Oh, fuck you yeah, for that. Yeah. Seriously, fuck you for that. That is such a terrible idea. I can't believe they filmed that. I can't believe that got out of the idea stage. 
Jesus. I wrote a really yeah, long article pretty, about pretty, that. Pretty I, I wrote an editorial about that. At, I think bloody disgusting. And then there were two kinds of people: people who were like "yes," and people who were assholes. Mm. And I just <sighs> drove me up the wall. Anyway, I'm still mad about that. So it could be improved, but it also has like an engine within it that allows us to re-examine the time period passing mm. between different versions. And I think so. There's there's room for improvement, and there's room for this to actually say something over time. Boom. That'll let it go. Good one. Good choice. Sorry, I got a little, That's a little, fine. little uh, passionate there. Another letter? Yeah, we have time. We have right, here's, here's a letter from Zach. Hello, Zach. Okay. Uh, hello, Bibbs and Whitney. I've listened to a number of your podcasts for many years now and appreciate all the work you uh, you do to analyze and discuss film history. Mm-hmm. Hang on a second. Thank you very much. You got a little bit of a... Oh, no. A little bit of an acid there. Well, right. reflux, yeah. um, We're in our 40s. <laughs> our bodies don't work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm currently halfway through the backlog of Only the Best and can't wait to catch up with a lot of the movies you have talked about on there. I have procrastinated sending this email for much too long, months, years. Oh my god. But for whatever reason, it was on the top of my mind today. One of the main entry points for my love and passion for movies stemmed from diving deep into filmographies of directors I Mm -hmm. admired by watching all of their films chronologically. This allowed me to get a clearer picture of their storytelling style as a whole, see where the certain movies fit into within the context of their careers, revisit old favorites I might have only seen once, and it was always great to become familiar with new actors or actresses that were involved in certain directors' stables. The first time I did this exercise was with Stanley Kubrick. Ah. Uh, I didn't realize at the time just how high a bar I was setting. (laughs) Uh, for most, if not all, of the other directors I've been watching. And while at the time of finishing the fir- that fil- first filmography in 2018, my favorite of the bunch was Path of Glo- Paths of Glory. Ah, oh, great movie. Uh, after rewatches, it subsequently turned into The Shining, with Dr. Strangelove as a close second. Uh, all, yeah, I mean, pretty much all of those movies great. were great, um, yeah. I found this to be one of the best ways for me to solve the problem of never knowing what to watch first on an ever-growing watch list, mm. and it's led me to discover a few new favorites from filmmakers like Bong Joon-ho, mm. Whit Stillman, Celine Shiama, mm-hmm. uh, the Coen brothers, uh, Albert Brooks, and Noah Baumbach. Have you ever watched a director's filmography in chronological order, and if so, what have been some of your favorite discoveries, director mm. of a specific films, from those exercises? Also, I'm not as familiar uh, with your thoughts on the films of Whit Stillman and Noah Baumbach. Are you fans, or do you have favorites from their filmographies? Uh, thank you for taking the time to read this letter and helping me grow as a person, trying to become more knowledgeable about movies best. Zach. Uh, Zach, thank you yeah. so much. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad people are enjoying we, mm. we our, our Patreon-exclusive podcast. Yeah. Oh, it's called Only the Best. We're reviewing every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture mm. in order. Uh, we're currently in the 1950s, so if you sign up at, I think it's the $5 tier, yeah. you get the entire back catalog, and it's hours and hours of classic movie reviews. And a lot of them are movies that are very famous. They've been covered to death. Movies like The Wizard of Oz, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Mm. But a lot of the movies that were nominated for Best Picture are now relatively, if not completely, obscure. Yeah. And being able to explore those has been really eye-opening, and we've I think we've both emerged with some favorite movies we didn't even know existed. Yeah. Uh, you know, movies yeah. like uh, Skippy or Skippy The Heiress. Really, really, yeah. yeah, really the Heiress is terrific. So great. Uh, um, so, uh, but uh, I want to answer the second part of your question first, because I think the filmography thing is a bigger thing. Uh, Witt Stillman and Noah Baumbach. Okay. What are, what are your takes on Witt Stillman and Noah Baumbach? Uh, I'm fond of both of them. Yeah. I, I think Noah Baumbach has staggered here and there. Um, mm. uh Whit Stillman, um, I think, is one of the more important voices of, like, Gen X. Mm. Um, He has a certain way of looking at a very specific window in your life. When you're in your, like, mid to late 20s, and you're really smart, but you have no wisdom. Yeah. And... 
you're making like maybe the worst decisions of your life, but you're really intelligent about the way you're doing it. Yeah, you think you have thought this all out and you're being really witty and really clever and you can do no wrong because your brightness, your mm. education yeah. will see you through and, and I, you don't know a goddamn thing. I, for, I, I feel like yeah. that was a big plight of Gen X like yeah. uh, and, and super educated generation mm -hmm. left set adrift mm. uh, with with nothing to do with all that all that book learning. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw Barcelona, I just mm. caught it randomly on it's, HBO oh. one day in an afternoon. And it's it's a movie in which there's I was how old was I when that movie came out? I was like what 13, 14 when that movie came it's out? 95? Yeah, Barcelona, I was probably 13 I think, or 14. Yeah. I probably saw it like within a year after it came out. Uh, it's not the type of movie that you would imagine would grab a 14-year-old <laughs> dude in the 90s. Um, and it did. It's totally 90, riveting. 94 was Barcelona. Yeah, yeah, so I was 12 when it came out, probably 13, 14 when I finally saw it. Mm. Um, I was completely riveted by this movie. And it's about, get this, an American who is sent to work overseas in Barcelona, and he's got a best friend who's a little annoying, but it's not like a you, me, and Dupree thing. He's just they, mm -hmm. They've got very different outlooks on it's life. Chris Eigeman is, oh, is, 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 is one of the funniest actors. And I, I think he's in most of yeah. Whit Stillman's He was the Adam there. Scott we had before we had Adam Scott. <laughs> uh, and, and they both fall in love with people. Hmm. That's the movie. That's a great movie. Mm -hmm. It is a hard elevator pitch, but the actual character work and dialogue was so absolutely wonderful and riveted. There are things I remember about Barcelona that I still mm -hmm. like think about constantly every day. Um, I love discovering Whit Stillman. I yeah, love Whit Stillman to pieces. Well, uh, there's that wonderful line yeah. in Barcelona where... Um, they're they're trying to sort of delve into their own psyches and they're they feel like well we're traveling we're trying to get into ourselves but these are really like thimble shallow people yeah. like they they're, they don't have deep souls <laughs> they're trying to look into something that's not very deep and yeah. uh, there's this wonderful discussion where uh, they're talking about um I was reading this book and everybody always talks about subtext when when they're reading books when they're talking about literature subtext but you know what's that thing like above the subtext the text? Yeah, how come nobody ever talks about that? <laughs> Classic exchange. Yeah, it's a great, great exchange from Barcelona. Uh, one of my favorite bits of dialogue from Metropolitan mm -hmm. is a guy, uh, he's talking about, I think he's talking about Jane Austen, and mm -hmm. he's talking with a, they're both like college students, he's trying to impress her with his knowledge of Jane Austen, and she's kind of weirded out by his take, and it turns out he says, I've actually never read the book, I've read the criticism of the book. And that way, I get the book and someone else's interpretation. And that's better than even reading the book. Mm. And she's just sort of looking at him like, oh. <laughs> like, it's one of those things that kind of sounds smart, but it's actually the stupidest thing you've ever heard. Uh, Brilliant. Uh, Dances in the Stress is one of my favorite movies. That's uh, really good. The, the, the Jane Austen movie he did, mm. uh, Love, and, Love Friendship. and Friendship, is one of the most underrated movies, I think, of the last 10 years. It should have so, been nominated for Oscars. So bloody funny. should have won an Oscar for that movie. Yeah. yeah. So damn funny. I love what Stillman... No Baumbach, I agree. I'm a little hit and miss on, on well, no well, Baumbach. Oh, sorry. Because uh, I want to talk about Last Days of Disco as well. Oh, please. Because um, Last Days of... He's only made like the six movies. Yeah. Um, Last Days of Disco um, kind of opened my eyes when it came out in the late 90s mm -hmm. to what the 80s were all about. Because oh. it, it takes place in like 1980. Yeah, it's about and, the, uh, last, the last days the of disco. Of, like, yeah. that era, yeah. Now <laughs> turn it into something else. Yeah. Yes, I work in advertising. Why are you kicking me out? What's, what's going wrong in this country? Um <laughs> 
the the message of that movie it's it, Chloe Sevigny plays the main mm-hmm. character and she is like sort of slowly rejected by everyone mm-hmm. that she sort of runs across in this movie like she's dumped by boyfriends she has a a fling but it turns out she, she just got an STI um, oh yeah there's like it, everyone throughout the movie is gradually getting herpes yeah <laughs> just and uh, the message that she keeps hearing from everybody it's like you know what there's too much drama. I need to focus on myself. And that's Whit Stillman's comment on what the 1980s ended up being all about. Yeah. It's like, last days of disco, okay, a lot of excess, but then people got into advertising and they just earned money and thought about themselves. It was this, like, generation of complete selfishness. And that put a lot into perspective for me. That one and American Psycho would make a good double feature. Chloe Chloe Seven V. Chloe Seven V. Yeah, that's great. Um, That would be a great double feature. Uh, And then Noah Baumbach, I'm more hit and miss on Noah Baumbach. I think... When Noah Baumbach is trying to tell, like, a really heavy story, he starts to lose me. There's just something Mm. that disconnects me when he's trying to do something like, I don't know, Marriage Story or something. Where it's like, it's it's, it's obviously very well acted, and I'm not going to say it's badly written. I'll say this. But I I find uh, myself rejecting it. He's made a couple movies about divorce. uh, The Squid and the Whale. The Squid and the Whale is excellent. Because it's told Mm. from the perspective of the kids. Mm. And how the divorce is sort of affecting them both. Mm. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg has learned from his dad, who's played by Jeff Daniels. Uh, essentially to be a, a scoundrel. Mm. Um, his dad is sort of an intellect, but he's one of like a very detached intellect. And all he's taken from his dad essentially is the arrogance and the pretending to be smart. There's a mm. funny exchange between him and a, a, a girl his age where um, he's describing Kafka as being Kafka-esque. Yeah. Like he's trying yeah. to sound smart. Yeah, because he, I think he also hasn't read it. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, like... I think it's very Kafka-esque. Yeah, it was written by And then, yeah, she's, she says, you know, it would have to be, it's Kafka. Um, he wants to take uh, uh, the same girl to on a date. I want to see a funny movie that came out in uh, 1985, like Back mm. to the Future or something. His dad says, mm, don't go to see that popcorn fluff. See something intellectual. Go see Blue Velvet. Yeah, that's a great date movie. Yeah, Blue that'll Velvet. go very well. Um, Jeff Daniels plays the worst dad ever. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. so fucking terrible. Uh, that's an excellent, but that's an excellent movie because it actually shows that this, these are yeah. damages. These aren't. Yeah. yeah, we're we're kind of giggling about it, but they're actually yeah. like really kind of da- harrowing yeah. scenes. When he made uh, a, a Marriage Story, mm. it was like Squid in the Whale light. Like it wasn't interested in being yeah. quite that raw about it. No, it didn't it's... hit me very hard. No, and I it's and I know definitely that, like, the lesser movie. I, I, it's not. I'm not. I'm not fond of it. Although there's definitely good stuff in it. Like my favorite Noah Baumbach stuff is uh, Francis Ha is great. I don't think I quite. I love Francis. I, ha. We saw that together, and yeah. you were immediately fond of it. And I was like, I don't know. And then a couple of years, I realized. You know, I liked kinda... it because because it, it's a Whit Stillman movie. <laughs> it is very true. It is very true. And uh, you're right about yeah. that. I think I think the movie hit me a little too close to home at the time because it was like, about a, like, a character your age. Yeah. yeah, it was about a character my age realizing that their dreams might not work out yeah, and how they it, have to make sort of adjustments into their life and grow up, yeah, but later than they expected to. And it's about that I time in your life when, when struggling to make your dreams come true isn't cute anymore and you just yeah. gotta finally like find something to do something. It's basically about what we might call now a quarter-life crisis, yeah. and I think it's a very good film about that. But my favorite uh, Noah Baumbach movie, and I think it's partly because it's also a Greta Gerwig movie, mm. uh, is uh, Mistress America. That's also a great one. I love Mistress America. That's kind of overlooked in his filmography. I think of it as... What if the Great Gatsby, but no one died? Like <laughs> it's just about this like college freshman, and she like gloms onto this like really cool party girl, and she starts realizing that her life isn't actually that cool, and it's kind of tragic, and mm-hmm. it all turns into this like really disastrous road trip that's really fucking funny. 
Um, I love that movie to pieces. People don't talk about it enough. Yeah. Uh, regarding the the meat of your of your email though, is um, we we talked about this actually really recently. We were talking about like how do you get through all of the films on your to watch list? Like, what's the mm-hmm. great way to do that? Especially and, if you're the kind of person who. Mm-hmm is consistently updating their mm-hmm. watch list and adding new films all the time. It, yeah. it, after a while, you have this piece of paper that has 200 film titles on it, and yeah. that, that's or not helpful Or anymore. even if you're just young and you're just getting started on your cinematic journey, and it can be really daunting because you have this, like, giant wall of history yeah. to try to crack down and, like, oh, here's a window that's labeled Hitchcock. Well, Jesus, that's huge. How do we call through that? There's so much. Um, we suggested gamifying at least i suggested that mm-hmm. where you would maybe watch all the films from one director i didn't specifically say i think uh watching them in order watching a film's a filmography in order can be great but it has some drawbacks potentially the great thing about it is you're gonna see a narrative through line not just of the filmmaker and how they grew and how their ideas grew their artistry evolved and the themes that they were exploring evolved uh but also history Mm. And you'll see the historical context. Yeah. Uh, you and I, we're doing Thank Godzilla. It's Friday, and this is causing us to really immerse ourselves, mostly in the works of Ishiro Honda, who directed the majority of the early Godzilla stuff yeah. and related stuff. And it's been really interesting to see how his take on giant monster movies changes dramatically over the course of like 10 years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's really, really fun. The downside is that a lot of filmmakers make a lot of missteps. Or they, well, they maybe, or they find their voice over time, uh, and sometimes you end up watching a bunch of movies that maybe aren't the best introduction to their work. And as a result, yeah. some people are going to be totally into that, and they just want to see the whole thing, and they're just they're excited for the whole history. Yeah, well, but if you're trying to get excited about it in the first place, maybe their first movie isn't always the best place to no. start. Um, the good case in point, William Castle. Yeah, uh, yeah. William Castle's first movie. Really, it's House on Haunted Hill. Yeah. Um, but before that, he made 40 fucking movies. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and they yeah. were all just these cheapy westerns and genre pictures much that he was doing yeah. for hire. Yeah. Do you want to wade through those 40 movies mm-hmm. before you get to the important one? <laughs> I, I think of it like uh, Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield, uh, one of the most iconic comedians who ever lived. He had such a great shtick. His shtick was, I don't get no respect. Mm. And every joke was at his own expense, and he was mm. funny, yeah. and he was self-deprecating, but he was kind of cocky about yeah. it. It was such a great bit. <laughs> the other night, my wife greeted me at the door wearing a negligee. Problem is, she was coming home. <laughs> <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, he didn't find that shtick until, he, I think it was in his 40s or 50s. It was, he was an older guy, yeah. Yeah, he had been just like a general borscht belt, tell-a-joke mm. Comedian, he'd been working consistently, but he hadn't honed the bit yet. So if you like wanted to watch like every single comedy routine he did, starting at the very beginning, it might be a chore for a while. Now, and someone like Kubrick, who had like two practice movies, even mm. even by Kubrick's own admission, Fear and Desire and Killer's Kiss, yeah. were films that he's essentially disowned as I was learning the craft. Mm. Um essentially photographs that move that's kind of yeah kind of like it, he, he, he found his voice pretty quickly and even if you might argue that not all of his movies are equally great mm. 
he Spartacus. Had a, uh, he had, he had, but yeah, but he was Spartacus. It's still I, a fun adventure film. I like Spartacus. Kubrick it's movie. not a good Kubrick It was a work yeah. for hire film. He also didn't consider that one of his movies either. But he still only made like 13 movies, mm. and most of them are great. So that's a pretty well, it's pretty cool, Kubrick, straightforward um, thing to do. Kubrick's you know? an easy one to do with because Kubrick was yeah. kind of a recluse. Yeah. He, he made movies kind of out of his own private corner yeah uh, he was friends with other filmmakers and he liked to watch other movies but when he started to make a movie he was always coming from his own perspective same yeah. with someone like david lynch these people who are making movies for themselves mm. um a lot of filmmakers are having conversations with other filmmakers and a lot of other trends that are happening at the time you could watch scorsese's movies all in a row but when you get to something like hugo it's like wait a minute why do you make a film with like CGI and it's in 3D and it's this mm-hmm. weird kids movie. Well, you have to know about what was going on in Scorsese's life. A it was all about film preservation, so he wanted mm-hmm. to make a movie about that. And also, 3D was hip at the time. He wanted yeah. to try. He wanted um, to try to experiment with it. And mm-hmm. also, Scorsese doesn't always make movies that are hits. He has to consider mm-hmm. what the marketplace is and what yeah, he can so, get made. So I think you know? the idea of watching any filmography, any director's filmography from like merely from beginning to end isn't always going to be the best way to do it. Yeah. Uh, also, it's never, it's never necessarily a bad way to do it, but mm. it's not necessarily the best way to do yeah. it. Also, a lot of filmmakers, especially prolific ones mm. are going to make different kinds of movies throughout their career that cover similar topics. True. And sometimes it's best to bunch the films together that cover like a certain theme or a certain idea rather than wait for them to sort of come along and see them kind of ping-pong back and forth between certain mm. ideas. Kurosawa is a good one, because he's yeah. re- pretty prolific. Yeah. Um, he made several uh, films set in feudal Japan. Mm. Watch those films together. Uh, and then you can watch some of his more modern films yeah. next to each and other. I, I and I think I'm... you get a better sense of who yeah. they are as filmmakers mm. when you start to see their themes and their ideas uh, reflecting on each other. But again, that's just our outside perspective. And mm-hmm. I think watching them in chronological order can be very, very satisfying. I just think you're going to, your mileage on how that's actually going to play out is going to vary depending on the filmmaker because different filmmakers had drastically different careers. Yeah. And yes, yeah, some filmmakers didn't find their voice for a really long time. Some of the filmmakers, uh, uh, changed dramatically in ways that can be really exciting to follow. And sometimes it's like, Oh, you Going through Dario Argento's filmography got a lot less fun when he hit 1990 or so. You know? like, <laughs> At some point, with Argento, you can just stop after You can after probably a while. stop after a while with Argento, but um, yeah, you know. But I appreciate, I appreciate what's this. I, you know, this is something that we do. It's our Godzilla series, it's our Oscar series, it's our Star Trek series. We are completionists. It's one of the reasons why we get along so well mm. uh, in this in our projects is that we both believe that if you're going to do something you want to do it as well as possible and you want to be as complete as possible yeah uh call it obsessive compulsive if you will uh i actually am uh but um it's not always for everybody so i'm glad you found a thing that's working for you i think it's really really great and i'm definitely not discouraging you Mm. uh it's just if everyone is anyone's listening it's like oh that sounds like a lot it might not be the best way so, uh, but there's, there's no, I don't know if there's a wrong way hmm. necessarily other than to not do it, like well, to explore film history. I'd be interested to see somebody, yeah. uh, yeah. cause this is the way I, I did it a lot. Like, mm-hmm. um, I discover a filmmaker with like whatever their newest film was, sure. some playing theater and, and only, only then do I discover that they made 15 movies in the mm-hmm. past. Sometimes I'd watch them in reverse chronological order, yeah. kind of trace back. And that would not, not necessarily give me 
a sense of how the filmmaker evolved, mm. but it would give me a good sense as to uh, how they were reacting to eras I remember, and then going back into history. Um, mm. um, I think I did that with Spike Lee. Like oh, I, I, I discovered sort of some of his movies in the 90s, and I started reaching back and found some of his earlier stuff, and I got to... Uh, kind of through nostalgia, discover what was being said by these filmmakers at the time. I, uh, I, I, I not, it's gonna. This is another thing where the mileage is gonna vary depending on your circumstances or uh, what you have access to. But scarcity can sometimes be an issue. Like when I was just, just learning, some about of the films aren't available. Some films aren't available, or like when I was younger and you had to actually get all of your movies physically from a video store. Um, not every video store had everything. Mm. Or sometimes they were just rented out. So I'm like, I would like to watch the next David Lynch film in order, but they don't have it, or it's rented out right now, and I have to rent a movie, and I really want to, so I'm just going to skip, I don't know, Wild at Heart, and move on to Lost Highway, or whatever the hell they had next, you know? Mm. So... That can also be a factor, too, and that's not a wrong way to do it. You just... It's just... It's a whole thing. Anyway, um... Yeah! Movies! (laughs) We see a lot of them. We see movies. Pro- pro- it's a, it's late, a... and I'm probably going to go home and try to watch a new one. Oh, my goodness. Or I'll just pass out. Well, I should let you do that. All right. <laughs> uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on the latest We've Got Mail. If you want to submit your own uh, uh, email, or if you want to uh, mail us the old-fashioned way, our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Whitney, what is our P.O. box? Yeah, send us an actual physical letter. You don't have to send us gifts. No, this is that very was very gen- nice. It's very generous of you, and I thank you, yeah, but we, we're, we, we're not... We cherish yeah. these things when you send them. These, to these us, are, this is pretty wonderful, and but people yeah, no have obligation. We're not. We're not wonder, asking. Wonderful uh, gifts in the past. Uh, yeah. Waiting to go on our Christmas tree is the badgie that. Oh uh, yeah, I've got that. One of our one of our listeners sent us homemade badgie yeah. Christmas tree ornaments, Love which it. I'm very excited about. And these Godzillas are great. Um, you don't have to send us gifts. We're, we're good. We appreciate the ones we get, but uh, that, that's not a request. Just send no. us a letter. Yeah. Uh, P.O. P- Box 641-565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. Very special shout-out to all of our patrons. Uh, if you have the means and you want to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash network. You get all of our new shows ad-free, which is very nice. Uh, we also have a lot of the shows we discussed in this episode, including Only the Best, huge back catalog of deep dive reviews of classic movies that you've heard of and you've never heard of, even movies we had never heard of. Mm. Uh, <laughs> love that series. I'm really excited to do the next episode. We'll get to that really soon. Uh, our Star Trek podcast is there. Uh we, we, we got a lot of stuff. Mm. Uh, we're very grateful of our patrons, without whom our shows would not exist. Uh, and, um, yeah, I'm forgetting anything. No, I think we're good. Okay. Well, <laughs> thank you very much. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see you around. Sincerely, yours, Bibbs and Whitney. <laughs>